Hey guys, we're back. This is your host, Jill of the Sports Ethos Kings podcast. Thanks for joining us as always. We are back with part two of the fan roundtable. Let's get started. Okay, so we've talked about um, Keegan Murray. We've talked about trades and free agency. Now, the other big thing that happened this summer was the hiring of Mike Brown and his staff. So I want to get your guys' thoughts on what you think about Mike. Did you have him on your radar at all? Uh, are you happy with it? Do you like the assistance? Let me have it. I can't say that that Mike Brown was was high on my list at when the offseason started. Um, like like you, I had uh, uh, my own little wish list that I had thrown together. Not that I'm an expert on any of this stuff, but it was more like just names to keep an eye on, you know, backgrounds to look at in case, uh, you know, they, they end up getting interviewed. And like... Mike Brown was so far down on my list, mostly just because to me, he was a retread, you know, he'd been around the league, coached a few teams already. And I wanted, you know, some exciting young name or whatever, uh, you know, to, to run the franchise going forward. But at the same time, like once I start started to understand who Mike Brown was and, uh, how if I were to back, if I were sitting down and interviewing Mike Brown, he would totally win me over. Like the attention to detail and and, and the planning and the, the binders and the organization. And then on top of that, like it's one thing to be that kind of a nerd, but then uh, to have the personality uh, to kind of make it a bit more endearing to not be like to yell so- across the practice floor. <laughs> yeah. Th- to the point that like, I mean, if, if you don't know what Michael's talking about here, you know, Mike Brown the other day was, was doing interviews with the press when others were, I think, I don't know, they were doing uh, there, some of the players were doing their own uh, videos. Warrior like, scream type. Yeah, <laughs> they're told to just scream into the camera yeah. with pyro going on behind you, and and he some sort of like, primal yawp. <laughs> yeah, and, and Brown heard it. All the reporters heard it, and so he just turned in that general direction, opened his mouth wide like a like a lion, like a king, and just and did his own roar right in the faces of, of all the press. And it, you know, went viral. But like to be able to And have, is literally and is literally the the avatar of the Sacramento Kings Twitter <laughs> account right now. Yeah, Harrison Barnes too, right? Like I think Barnes made it his avatar. And and like to have the humility and the just the the confidence to do that sort of thing and put yourself out there in front of the world while also being this guy that that is very book smart and 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 organized and attention or uh, has great attention to detail like that's what wins people over an interview and he totally would have won me over i'm sure with, with that i can't speak for Mark Jackson and what he would have done, but in terms of Mike Brown's interview, I totally would have could see where, why Vivek and Monty and everyone involved would go in that direction. Yeah, I agree uh, completely. Admittedly, I mean, I listened to all of Jill's podcasts <laughs> and I did a little bit of re- research, you know, and, and read through the articles that went through all the different candidates. But um, Mike Brown, I think, was just a name I sort of passed over most of the time. It was just a guy who's been around for a while, didn't have anything against him. But, but I, you know, I was kind of attracted to more of the younger names, you know, like the younger uh, coach with a lot of upside, similar to what we do with players. You know, it's more about like, these guys could be somebody and we don't really think too much about what they already are, or what they have been. So I, I, I didn't really have a whole, whole lot of expectation uh, 
but I also didn't have a huge desire for anything. I mean, I think really, I just didn't want Mark Jackson. That was really my only thing. Once those names came out, when it was down to that smaller group, um, I was basically like, okay, Mike Brown's fine. Like he's not my Mark Jackson, so I'll take him. But in, since the hire, every everything since, I have definitely understood why he was selected. And uh, honestly, he so far, I mean, I, I, we'll see what happens once the games start. Um, but just from his his uh, mentality and his demeanor and all of that checks off all the boxes of something I'd want to see, you know, um, he can gains respect to the players. It seems like, it seems like he's well liked by the players, but not so much because he's like a player's coach is just going to let players, um, you know, stomp all over him. Like, it seems like he has that good balance of likability, but also, um, you know, having some order, uh, and it just, uh, seems to really that attention to detail thing is huge. I mean, to me, it almost seems like, um, he almost seems like the type who wouldn't, um, be, wouldn't want to like, kind of wouldn't accept losing. Like he, if they go into one of these long losing streaks, like three or four games, I could see him just like, all right, well, time to get out a new binder and create a new plan, you know, like just kind of almost like uh, a researcher or something like just kind of obsessed with it, you know, and, and maybe that won't work out. Maybe it will, but I, I think that's the right kind of mentality. Cause it seemed like last season um, and really last few seasons, it seems like, I mean, I'm sure the coaches were trying to make efforts to change things, but it seemed like it was just kind of the same old thing. And I did kind of wonder after all these losses, you know, all Twitter's a blaze of like, we should do this, we should do that. And you kind of wonder, well, all these fans have ideas, but like, are the coaches, what are they like, what are they trying to do? Like, are they making any adjustments? You know, it seemed like Luke was kind of doing the same kind of thing, you know, game in and game out. So I, I think Mike Brown's going to be somebody who is obsessed with looking at, you know, whether it's data or, or game film or just kind of figuring out what's going on with the team and trying to find something different. And it seems like the rest of the coaching staff that he selected um, is kind of has that similar mindset, just from what we saw from um, Summer League. And just some of the sound bites I've heard from some of the coaches, uh, you know, hearing about what uh, Luke Locks has been doing with De'Aaron Fox. It, it seems like they're all very creative, uh, kind of outside the box thinkers and not like cherry picking on defense outside the box thinkers. <laughs> reasonable, uh, I, reasonable thoughts. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens when, when the games happen. But at least uh, on paper, it seems like Mike Brown and his staff check off all the boxes of what I'd want to see. Um, coaching this team. I think the other thing is, is that you have Mike Brown, who has almost never been a losing coach, right? Other than one year in Los Angeles and one year without LeBron. And after he left to go to Miami has never been a losing coach in the league. You have another head coach, uh, level, um, talent in, I'm blanking on his name now, but the offensive coordinator Jay, guy that we have. Jay Triano. Jay, yeah, thank Jay, Jay Triano. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Jay Triano is a guy that could be a head coach in this league. Jordy Fernandez is a guy that is going to be a head coach in this league. You know, we all know Doug Christie and what his level of talent is as far as his ability, his analytical ability, his basketball IQ. You know, the level of intelligence on this team as far as basketball knowledge is more than has been present it feels like to me than any king's team in recent history and that is extremely encouraging and they're all guys that brown basically picked they want guys 
that were given to Brown, with possibly the exception of Christie. Uh, they were all guys that he decided on. This is my guy. I'm going to bring Jordy Fernandez over. I'm going to bring Jordy. I'm going to bring over Jay Triano. I'm going to bring over Luke Locks. You know, these are all my guys. And so, uh, Luke, for all of his faults and his foibles, never really had the opportunity to bring in the guys that were his guys. And that might be just because all of his guys were in Los Angeles and in Golden State and they were not available. And the one and the ones he did ended up jumping ship to uh, more stable places. But yeah, even to your point, Trevor, uh, today there was a soundbite of it was Brendan asked him about, um, you know, what to what do do players know what to expect and things like that. And he mentioned that everyone's already had an individual meeting uh with coaches, whether it be him or one of the assistants, they, they know exactly what is expected of them, um, of what they need to do on this team. And then he, uh, the follow-up question was about smaller lineups and all that stuff. And we even heard that last year, right? It was the small ball lineup. And what was it? Oh yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to put all these guys together and it's going to be so good. And it's worked here, here, and here. And he was like, yeah, maybe we'll use it, but you have to earn it. Like, I'm not, I can't tell you one way or the other right now because everyone has to earn their playing time. So I actually did. Well, again, like you said, we'll see what happens, but I did like hearing him say, yeah, maybe we'll do it, but these guys have to earn it first. Like I'm not, um, they have to show it to me. And I think that's something that's kind of been lacking around, around here too. And one of the reasons I like how much competition that's going on right now, um, as TD says, it's healthy competition. And I think it is, it's, you know, these guys have to earn their spot. Nothing's given to you, especially on a, you know, a bad team. They're hoping they're going to be good, but right now you're still, you know, you're a bad team to everybody else. And so there shouldn't be any um, expectations from anybody on something that, you know, they've already walked into. I mean, Trevor Reza was saying it, what, three, four years ago. Why are you guys acting like this? You haven't done, you might be getting paid, but you haven't done anything to earn, you know, anything that you're doing right now. And so I do like seeing that kind of early accountability accountability from them and i'm curious to see if he's going to bring that defensive portion that he brought to the warriors where they had that he worked with the analytics staff and they had that rating system for um for defenders and it went it very much went up on the board for everybody so everybody knew if you were going up down if you were slipping and they had to hold each other accountable for either you know if you weren't doing your job or getting praise for you know doing what you're supposed to be doing so i do hope to see that kind of stuff and have that kind of personal accountability because it seems like you have a bunch of hungry guys that shouldn't really be worried about what they're getting. It's can you win? Because that's only going to help all of them and their reputation, you know, that stuff going forward and the opportunity going forward for them. If you all buy in and do this, you're going to get looked at way more than somebody else doing this because you just broke a 16 year drought when nobody said you could. And you did it in a place that nobody said could win. So um, I think there's some excitement there. And and I and I do think when how Brett, you talked about the whole retread. And I know I talked about this on pods before, similar to the when Adelman was hired and the B, they called him the retread and all that stuff. 
And, you know, even I had some of the younger guys higher on my list, but Brown was still, um, as you guys know, someone that I liked. But if you really, truly think that you're ready to take that next step, he makes sense. And that kind of coach and what he brings makes sense for how you guys mentioned the kind of roster and the people they brought in of getting ready to take that next step. He fits that that kind of mold with them um, going forward. One other thing too, the the accountability thing and the communication things is huge to me. It seems like that was something that De'Aaron Fox um, really wanted was accountability, which was a little surprising to me because I actually thought there were things that he probably should have held himself more accountable for last season. Um, I mean, and maybe he did. Uh, you know, I think he's very hard on himself, uh, certain things. So I, 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 maybe it's wrong to say that he wasn't. And he but could I, be looking, know. saying, knowing himself, I need someone to do that to me, to give me my best self, right? Like right. to and that point too. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. I mean, and also, I mean, there was a lot put on Darren Fox's shoulders last few years. And I think with some of the personalities that were on this team, you know, it, it was probably on the players to sort of police each other as far as people who aren't really, you know, slacking off on defense. And I'm sure as the quote unquote leader of the team, you know, a lot of that probably was supposed to fall on him and he probably wanted some assistance with that. So um, I think this is a kind of team. I mean, it's a pretty deep coaching staff, as, as Michael said, like, you know, I've been thinking a lot about how the depth chart of players has really uh, increased on the roster, but really yeah, the depth chart uh, in the coaching staff and even in the front office. I mean, we've got two general managers basically uh, with Wes Wilcox in there. Um, so there's a lot of knowledge and a lot of uh, uh, just a lot of experience there. And I think um, the accountability will definitely be a factor, but I love the communication aspect. Um, you know, not to talk about baseball, but the Giants coaching staff, you know, they have a huge coaching staff and they, that's something that they stressed last year. Everybody's very clear on their role. When someone comes into the team, they're told like, you're going to be hitting against lefties. You're going to be hitting against righties. And everyone knows like, you know, you might not play, but you got to be ready. And I think some players are obviously everybody wants to play. I'm sure everyone wants to play 30 minutes a game, 40 minutes a game, but if you at least are aware of your role um, and, and, you know, you can kind of mentally prepare for that. And I think it's just a lot easier. And I don't know if that was really happening in previous years. It seemed like people were just expecting to be given a role um, or maybe just thought they were, um, you know, maybe, maybe just wasn't communicated. I mean, we're hearing all these like media day horror stories about like, you know, obviously Aiden and Monty Williams haven't talked since the playoffs. Um, heard about another one this morning about how, a reporter asked think about their role and um they that was the first they had heard of it like that they were going to be starting or coming off the oh bench. that was uh wood yeah yes christian wood christian yeah wood. that's it and jason kids he was saying that uh we're like they said kid just told us that you were going to be the sixth man and he said oh that's the first i heard about that and that was kind of one of the things he had been complaining about in previous situations which but now you're at a winning organization, maybe that changes. But yeah, I mean, to your point, the communication of expectation, right, was not delivered. Yep. And I and I think that's as long as people are aware of what the role is. Uh, and uh, I think these are personalities that are a little more team oriented. Uh, you know, it seems like a lot of these guys are guys who probably just want to win and really want success as opposed to some of the people that have come through here before that are seem a little bit more like me guys, you know, they want their minutes, they want their stats and that's all they care about. So um, I, I just like that the communication is happening because I think that's so important uh, at the course of the season. So when things are go wrong, 
you know, maybe it's less about finger pointing and, you know, like, well, I should have gotten my minutes and then you wouldn't be in this mess. You know, you can kind of be like, okay, well, we all know our role. What, which, you know, how can we improve on that to help improve as a team? And even to that point, and in an 82 game season, things rarely ever go right or how you're expecting. And you end up needing everybody, let alone during COVID, you know, and everything else. Like you end up using roster spots one through 17, including the two ways. So when you have that buy-in in everyone's role, when it's that next man up mentality, you can see with a lot of these good teams, it's, we're like, how do they lose this, you know, these players? And then it's, it's just, they're able to keep going. And I think that is a lot, you know, credited to it is, you know, everyone knowing what they have to do and next man up and knowing that, the team as a whole is bigger than the me and that kind of stuff. And that goes back to what you, what you were saying about uh, Brendan, uh, Brendan Nunez question for, for Mike Brown and he, how he mentioned those, not only did he say like meetings with individual players, which you would hope coaches are doing that before training camp and setting those expectations, but not only did he say that, but he used a very specific phrase, individual player development meeting. He, You know he's trademarking that shit. This was planned. This was not just some impromptu thing. He created that phrase, individual player development He went development to the state. Meeting. We have the IDP at the state. <laughs> now he's being, he's being in Sacramento and around a bunch of state workers. He's got a folder, you know, with, with every player, a bunch of bullet points on what he expects to see this season, what, what he expects of them, like There's questions to ask each of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got, well, I'm sure he's got like a, a database somewhere with, with with information that he doesn't want the players to necessarily see about his evaluations, but he's got bullet points he wants to go over with those individuals about, you know, what he expects, what his evaluation is, and and questions for them about what he can do for them, I'm sure. But yeah, he, when he had an answer ready to go. Like, it was not just some like, I don't know, I'm, I'm just going to come up with a phrase on the fly kind of thing. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. And it seemed like we've mentioned too, he hired such a player development staff that you saw Luke was with Fox. We had heard about Christy with Davion, you know, at times in Texas and different places. Today, Keegan said that uh, one of the new ones I talked about last week, Dutch Gately, um, has been kind of with him. And we ended up seeing him in that video yesterday in Vegas and they hadn't announced him yet, but he was hiding in plain sight the whole time. Um, I'm still frustrated with myself that I didn't see that because he was one of the names that um, I was asking for and liking. And so to see him that he's been around this, you know, whole time. And um, I did like that, you know, you had guys kind of paired off with guys and working with that development already um, well into the summer prior to prior to the season starting. Well, and, and Mike Brown started as a player development coach, right? So he started out a video room from that side yeah. of the, the right video coordinator, you know, moves up to player development, becomes like a defensive guru, and then eventually gets a job as, you know, a head coach. So, you know, he gravitates towards that type of individual in his coaching staff, you know, whereas a guy who starts as a player maybe does not gravitate towards that sort of same level of development. Okay. Listeners, it's time to talk a little fantasy hoops. Do you remember who led you to Tyrese Halliburton? 
DeJounte Murray, Harry Rosier, and Mikhail Bridges before any other rank list? That's right. It was the Brewski 150, and you probably turned those huge wins into some cash, didn't you? That is great. Well, this year, the Brewski 150 is on sale for a limited time. And Ethos 360 subscribers can get access in less than a week. Head to sportsethos.com and click on the premium tab to grab membership or draft guide today. And yes, to answer your most important question, the Brewski 150 is included in both options. Check back daily for more new features and to go dominate your leagues again with Sports Ethos. All right. So do you guys have any thoughts on the whole Monty extension? I don't even want to say drama because it's not drama. Like he said yesterday, I'm going to be here until they kick me out. Um, But I know that's kind of a a hot topic right now, you know, with different places. Do you guys have any personal opinions or preferences one way or the other or just roll the dice and let it go? I think they should extend them immediately. I think that, you know, you should give them an extension that is commiserate with Brown's deal. And you might as well have the two you know, wedded together for however long that is. And uh, otherwise, you're always going to have one guy be a lame duck to the other guy or vice versa. And that doesn't really help the team. Or to even to that extent, I, you could even say, since it's an extension, extend it two years to match Sabonis's contract. Because then at that point, if it's not working, you figure there's going to be a lot of changes. And then that's also two years into Brown's contract out of the four. And that's much more palatable if you have to move on from that point, too. But that's just another option to throw out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's I think the hardest part is that his initial contract was you know only three seasons. And he hasn't won yet. Like, we, we, I love what he has done this offseason, but they haven't actually done anything good on the court yet. So it's if he if they extend him, which I I'm, I think they should, just like for the reasons we already gave. But if they do, and it all goes to hell, it's another LOL Kings. They you know extended a guy who hasn't done anything yet, except for put something together on paper. Well, granted, if we're not winning (laughs) now in two years, we're still going to be LOL Kings because we'll be like 19 years in the drought. Like it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure James (laughs) Ham has it in his, in his, you know, drafts already. Oh, look, the Kings extended, uh, extended uh, Monty without, you know, having a plan in place. I'm I'm not saying, I'm not calling James out for, for any specific reason friends but the, the idea is that the story has already been written whether it happens or not you know every time oh, the kings yeah, make a decision yeah. every time the kings make a decision that could be controversial or could make them look stupid in the future it does it happens and so you have to write it before i do it want to say there has been a certain amount of i do want to say there's been a certain amount of optimism around the kings in national media this offseason and that might be because of hiring a guy like Mike Brown and making just reasonable moves, not even like great moves, just reasonable moves, you know, going forward that, that a guy like Zach Lowe might go, Hey, you should hammer the over on the Kings in Vegas or a guy like Kevin Pelton goes, Hey, 
look at these guys. They're doing something interesting here, you know? And so there's been a certain amount of optimism and we've seen this before and it blew up in our faces and we all felt sad afterwards and it happens, but you know, these aren't dumb basketball minds that we're talking about that are being optimistic. They're smart basketball people that have said, Hey, there's something happening here. And I don't know if that is going to translate into anything. Nobody knows, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, I, I, de- I would like to see Monty extended. I would have preferred to see him extended at the, before the off season, just because I feel like it's, it's dicey when you have someone making decisions for a team and they're not necessarily, uh, you know, they're, they're doing it to save themselves essentially. I mean, that, that's not, I, I actually think Monty's a professional. I think he's actually is making moves for the sake of, of the franchise, not necessarily <laughs> just for him to save himself. But I think you do run that risk of someone who's like, and, and I mean, granted they, they are trying to improve the team now and win, you know, quote unquote win now. But I think uh, that's where I would like to see, because once he hired the coach, it's like, well, now you have a plan. You obviously aren't going to fire Monty. So if you plan to keep him to see this um, Mike Brown plan through, at least just as a start, it's like it, it just makes sense to extend it all together. Um, but now that we've had an offseason, I, I don't think it's necessarily as important to extend him at this point. Um, I would like to see it. Um, but I think maybe if he um, <laughs> I don't know, I, I feel like Vivek tends to do things that are, you know, he he tries to do things that are going to be well received. And I think after he extended Vladi a little too soon, um, and you know, sometimes you know, hire, I mean, granted, Vladi was the one that hired Luke, uh, hired Luke without a, a you know, you know, to, he also hired him too soon. So I feel like in general, the Kings organization is accused sometimes of, of doing things a little too soon. It's like a little bit of optimism, and you're like, oh, here take all the good things. And then, you know, so I, I do like in some ways that they're hesitating before they make that move, but it seems like if anybody does sort of deserve maybe to see it through a little longer, it's, it's Monty. You don't necessarily have to give him a 10 year extension, but I think, um, cause you know, to Brett's point, they haven't actually done anything yet on the court. Like on paper, the roster looks better. He's definitely made moves that are better than anything I think we would have expected to see uh, with the limited number of trade pieces and all that. So he's, he's sort of been a magician to an extent, but it, it hasn't translated to win. So maybe at this point, Vivek wants to see how it starts or he might have uh, the announcement ready to go. And he's just waiting for the right moment to announce it to, for goodwill, you know, opening night or something. It's like, here's Monty and we extended him for three years. And then everybody is, you know, everybody cheers or whatever. I, I don't know who really knows, but I, I do, I would like to see him extended. Um, but I do understand maybe why, there's a little bit of hesitation, which I can at least respect Vivek for if he's not wanting to just be, you know, trigger happy on the on the positive vibes. <laughs> well, in Monty's point of view, from Monty's point of view, there's the thing, right? If you take the Kings to a playoff berth, you can write your own ticket. You can write your own ticket anywhere, right? You can go to, you know, the Brooklyn Nets or the Philadelphia 76ers or Dallas Mavericks. It doesn't matter at that point. You can be, you know, the general manager of anywhere. So we don't know. It takes two to sign a contract as well. And that's not so that I think that Monty wants out or anything, but 
you know, there are certain also advantages. Well, he could also get paid contract. more. We've also heard about supposedly where he ranks in terms of contract money compared to other GMs. It's its exactly. own bargaining tool for him here as well. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing, right? Uh, you know, we know that the Kings are not at the very top, top level of teams that are spending on non-basketball talent, to, to put it bluntly, right? The scouting staff, even though we made some additions, additions today, or at least they were announced today, you know, the, the player development is not at the level that I would like to see as far as like, because there's no salary cap in that level. There's no, you know, you can spend as much as you want. So you're a billionaire, spend as much as you want. That's my feeling about it. But, you know, it's not my money. So whatever. Yeah, <laughs> that's an and, interesting and, point. And even Dude. like you said, Brett, too, that um, I already have my list that I've had for just like I had my coaching list. So I'm ready either way. <laughs> well, and actually, that's an interesting point, too, because we keep saying, like, you know, what the heck, Vivek, you know, extend Monty for all we know Vivek's already given Monty an extension and Monty's like screw you I got I got you guys a two-time all-star I, I'm not taking another four years at the same pay and then <laughs> so for all we know maybe th- this has been negotiating a while and they just haven't come to an agreement so you know who knows uh but it's uh you know it, it, the point is an extension hasn't been made whether whoever's fault yeah. that is uh, who knows but it, it is interesting to think I never really thought about it that way like we keep thinking oh the Kings haven't made the decision and it, and yeah it is a two-way street maybe Monty has to, you know he's he's wanting to see how the team plays out and he's going to take his his statue of I, I took the Sacramento Kings to the playoffs with this roster and go take that statue and make more money somewhere else <laughs> okay all right and then so to end it all here what are your guys' overall feelings um, going into this season? How excited, nervous, where, where are we at? I'm pretty excited, Well, but I've learned as a Kings fan, you have to have this, like some sort of duality in terms of your expectations, right? You can be excited for the product, think that they're, they have the talent to be one thing, and just know that in all likelihood, the organization or, you know, the bad vibes, whatever's going to push it to be a huge, colossal disappointment. That always exists. That possibility is always there. So I kind of live in, in both zones. But if I had to, to you know, put a number on it today, I'd say like, you know, 40 wins is, you know, something that would make me happy. I don't know where that puts them in the West, but that just kind of depends on everybody else. I'll go next. Uh, so to me, I think that the team is better than it has been since the Ron Artest years. I think this is the best team on paper that the Kings have put together since those years from one to 13, right? So they should be good enough to challenge for a playing spot. Um, what that number is, I don't know whether it's 40 wins, 42 wins. 45 wins, whatever. What I do know is that one of the teams, whether it's Phoenix or Los Angeles, either one, Clippers, Lakers, I don't care, whether it's Portland, whether it's uh, whoever is going to have a catastrophic failure. Somebody's going to have an, an issue because somebody always has an issue. And the Kings just need to be the team that can jump in there and be like, all right, we're going to take advantage of this. 
And hopefully they don't have the catastrophic issue. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. That's exactly what I was thinking. I, you know, I really, the West is tough, but I always really hate that. I feel like people always use that as an excuse of like, well, the Kings will never get anywhere because the West is too good. It's good, but there's always the team that falls out and there's always a door open for it. And some team always makes a leap. And I don't know if the Kings are going to be that team or not, but it's happened before and it will happen again this year to some team. And sooner or later, it's, got to be the Kings just statistically. So I think they've done everything that they need to do in the off season to put a team together that is, uh, you know, can, can compete uh, for a play in spot. And I think if it doesn't work out, I think it's going to be something where we aren't necessarily going to be blaming a coach or blaming a front office. I think it's going to be maybe a, a, just a fate thing, you know, knock on wood, but you know, it, injuries, I don't know, something bad could happen just, and then it's, then it was kind of realized, you know what? that we really are just cursed. So I, I think this time it's not necessarily going to be their own doing if, if they don't succeed. So uh, that could be me being naive. Uh, so I guess it's kind of cautious optimism. And that's to say, like, I'm just saying optimistically, they might get into a 10th spot. Like it's not, not saying too much, but um, I think they've done everything they need to do this off season. And, and now we'll just see how it plays out. And and I'm with you. And there could be a very real chance where we see legitimate growth from this team. But the West is just that good. And let's say they get over 40 wins and they still fall short like that could that could very well happen. So in, in that sense, as much as I want, you know, I want the playoffs playing all that stuff. But if you can give me that kind of growth, even if they fall short, like I would take it because that's more than anything that we've had in the last Yep, 16 years. Up. The team that falls off at the top, they might not fall off far enough. So if it's like the Warriors, they might not drop 30 games. They might only drop 15 games. Or if it's like the Clippers and they lose like 20 games between George and Kawhi, they might, you know, still be able to stay 10 and 10 or whatever in that period. You know what I'm saying? So they might not fall far enough to where the Kings can like get into the 45 win range to make that sort of playoff push. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's as, as always with a Kings fan, I'm opt. I hope for the best expect for the worst. So I I'm always going in hoping for the best. And if the bad happens, then, you know, nothing new. Um, but I want to say thank you guys for, for coming on here and, and sharing your thoughts. This was a lot of fun. I'll have you guys back on as the season goes and we'll, you know, see how we're feeling at that moment in time. Um, but is there anything you guys want to end with? Thank, thanks Love for having it. me on. Yeah. Thanks. Joe. All right. Awesome. Thanks guys. That ends part two of our fan round table podcast and we'll be back next week and we'll finally have some Kings basketball.